This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the lifetime batting average of Chuck Knobloch or the fielding percentage of the Brooklyn Atlantics, Bob, death to flying things Ferguson, this is not the place. But if you think pitchers should do the tossing and that overpriced stadium beer should stay in the cup holder in front of you, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie McCucci. And today we are investigating unusual stuff that's ended up on a baseball field. Welcome to Bad Hops. So, Mark, have you ever thrown anything out on a baseball field? I feel like you probably have never done that. I have never thrown anything on a baseball field. Actually, you know, if you don't have any objections, maybe Mm -hmm. we could review the objectives of today's topic, which is objects on the playing field. And yeah, I've never thrown anything on the field. I've seen all sorts of stuff get tossed out there. But when I protest how a game is going, I generally get up from my seat and go buy a beer or I go walk around sometimes go purchase merchandise for the team that's making me crazy at the moment. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. But It doesn't, but you know, retail therapy does help. I, I can attest to that. I guess I don't take out my frustrations is, is my point. I, I tend to bottle up my emotions and, and go stew. That, so that what about what about you? Are you a, a chucker, a tosser, a, a armchair pitcher? I know you'll find this hard to believe, but no, I have never chucked anything onto the field. I have resisted the urge, mainly because I don't think I've ever been close enough where I think I could have thrown something on the field. Plus, as mad or annoyed that I may get at what's going on, I feel like there are better ways for me to to get my hostilities out at the team. I'm more of a cursor than a chucker. Um, I definitely will curse and mutter, but yeah, throwing things is not how I express my distaste with what's going on. I bet there's one thing you do throw at a ball game. I bet you throw shade. I knew you were going there. Occasionally, occasionally, but usually that's for people around us. I mean, if there are some really insipid conversations that go on in stands at baseball games, and not all of them are drunken. When they're drunken, at least I can I can sort of forgive it. But sometimes you're just like, geez, guys, where did you get this knowledge from? I got a $40 seat and I got a $5 opinion, and I'm mm-hmm. not afraid to use it. That's how it works. I've given you a little bit of a warning here. Okay. But I have a joke for you. Oh, you're going to tell a joke. It's a, is it a knock-knock joke? No, but I'm going to think about a good one for next week. Okay. A good knock, a good baseball knock-knock joke? Involving That's right. Maybe Joe Morgan? <laughs> I don't know sure. why Joe Morgan. Does. Joe, Joe Morgan seemed like he would have told a good, a mean knock-knock joke. Es- or... Especially, especially uh, Joe Morgan. Yeah. Yes. It's a basic joke, but but it's a it's a doozy. Okay. I'm wondering how can you tell the difference between an East Coast baseball game and a West Coast baseball game? I don't know. How do you how do you tell the difference between the two? Well, on the West Coast, they throw beach balls on the field. On the East Coast, they throw batteries. Ooh. Good job, Phillies fans <laughs> and Mets fans. I do want to talk about beach balls today because I was kind of had this vision back to my childhood of beach balls at a ball game. Now, I've never encountered it as a child growing up, going to Royals games when I grew up in the Midwest. 
but I also didn't get to go to a lot of baseball games when I was a mm-hmm. kid. So I watched a lot of games on TV and it was usually the Saturday game of the week with Joe Garagiola. And if you're lucky, sometimes Vin Scully, the voice of the Dodgers, but we got him for the national game on, on a lot of Saturdays and West coast games. I would notice that there was often a delay because a beach ball would get on the field. And I was thinking, well, that's weird. You know, there's garbage that flies on the field or sometimes mm-hmm. somebody will chuck something out there, but how the heck did a beach ball get out on the on the field? I found any number of amazing things about beach balls, at least amazing to me. Are you going <laughs> to do a deep dive about beach balls? I'm going to do a deep dive with beach balls. All right. And luckily, I won't be able to go that deep because the beach ball will keep me buoyant. But a ball. Nice. Well, I was wondering, let's start from the start. When did the first beach ball get bounced? Well, that's not really something that goes into the record books. I am certain, though, that it happened after 1958 when the Dodgers and the Giants defected to the left coast and all of a sudden we're near the beach. Not that there aren't beaches on the east coast, but there's not as much sun and fun as there would be, say, on Malibu or the the classic Southern California beaches. Or or people may say that the, the beach ball set is a little bit soft, like throwing a beach ball on the field. It feels very west coast. I mean, the east coast, we you know. We're passionate about our baseball, which is why we're throwing batteries, at least back in the day. It just was easier to find batteries. It did make me wonder, we're not going to do batteries today, but it does make me wonder that with so many batteries thrown onto the field, does that mean that a lot of those ballparks have become toxic waste sites when the lawnmowers run over those batteries and kind of grind up lithium and cadmium and whatever else goes into the field? I mean, maybe. I mean, and who was ever tasked at cleaning up the field? I'm sure they they properly disposed of those batteries as opposed to just throwing them into the uh, trash dump. I respect your faith in humankind. I'm not as sure. I think there yeah. might be some ground up uh, energizers sitting out in center field in Philadelphia. I started to investigate and I ran into a book today that I just did some online excerpts, but I'm going to get this book. Pardon my French but I'm referring to the 2011 book, The Secret History of Balls. (laughs) by Josh. This is not that kind of show. I know. I I take it blue every time I I start talking, but Josh Chetwin wrote a book called The Secret History of Balls, and he revealed that in 1921, the Voigt Company, maker of any number of kickballs and soccer balls and basketballs, created the first all rubber multicolored beach ball. Those all rubber models were replaced by the all plastic models that we're more familiar with now, which became much more common after World War II. I also learned that Picasso painted a painting in 1932 called Bather with Beach Ball. It did not include baseball, so I'm I'm gonna rule that out, but it's interesting that beach balls became a thing so quickly after the, the onset. Josh Chetwind, the author, speculates that this was a 70s thing, the phenomenon of beach balls at baseball games, and almost certainly starting in in L.A., and and more specifically at Dodger Stadium, Mm -hmm. because, in fact, that's still where you see the majority of balls bouncing around in a Major League Baseball game. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, it's highly unlikely that you could walk in with a beach ball that's fully inflated, but it's pretty darn easy to smuggle in an uninflated one. So I think that's how it became a desirable item of contraband. So now they're not patting you down for the beach ball, right? 
They just want to make sure you're not bringing in uh, illegal uh, water so they can charge you 12 bucks for a tiny bottle. God, yes, God forbid that you're actually bringing in your own water to the ballpark. We'd, we'd rather you bring in weaponry than a bottle of water. So the earliest report that a beach ball is mentioned in that was easily traceable is 1975 in the Pasadena Star News, which I know you used to be a subscriber. You loved those Ziggy strips that were in there. No, I mean, and who doesn't love hearing about what's going on in Pasadena? Well, the reporter for the Pasadena Star News lamented how many balls were being volleyed throughout the outfield in the middle of a Dodgers shutout. It was a stellar game and no one was paying attention. In fact, Don Sutton, the starting pitcher in that game, who did throw a a shutout, bragged that he'd gotten his hands on two beach balls and was taking them home for his quote-unquote youngsters. Which then begs the question, how much was Don Sutton getting paid in 1975? And he's like, well, look here, I got two... $1 $1 beach balls. I, I feel like he could have afforded a couple of beach balls. And they probably weren't even a dollar back then. They were probably about a quarter. They were, I mean, come on. That would be my guess. This is the, They're still cheap. They were never expensive. They and, and I think that probably the disposability of a beach ball also makes it a desirable thing. Hey, I'll sneak it in, stuff it in my back pocket even, blow it up at the game, bounce it around in the crowd. And if I lose it, I lose it. Big deal. So this is definitely a a Los Angeles thing. Another book that I ran across by Howard Berman, which is called To Hate Like This Is To Love Forever, The Greatest Dodgers and Me, which is a book I'm probably not going to check out. Okay, but, but it had a whole beach ball section. Well, he talked about going to Dodgers-Giants games in San Francisco in the mm-hmm. 70s and the 80s. Giants fans were not bouncing beach balls around. And in fact, they were making fun of Dodgers fans for the classic reasons that we all make fun of Dodgers fans. They mm-hmm. arrive late, they leave early, and then they spend the whole game bouncing balls around rather than paying attention to the game. And you know what? Dodgers fans do have a unique nonchalance. I have been to a couple of games at Dodger Stadium, and they just don't care. If the team is an epic team, they don't really care. If the team is so-so, they don't really care. They, they, they come with the same meh energy. You know, I have had, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off there because I've been to Dodger Stadium, and I was actually happily surprised at the level of passion among their fans. Okay. Um, so I, I thought that the fans were very much into it. I thought that they were more involved than I thought they would be. Um, there was a lot of cheering. I got to see Justin Bateman walk out of his walk out of the men's room, zipping up. So that was exciting at one. <laughs> I don't know how that speaks to the excitement of the game, but you know, I think there was a level of passion there that I didn't think would given the the reputation that I didn't think would be there. So at least my experience, I think they're more passionate than they're they're given credit for. But every game is different. We may just want to consider doing a hard pivot that a Yankee fan is sticking up for Dodger fans. I have no beef with the Dodgers. I think Dodgers fans hate the Yankees, but I feel like Yankees fans have many other enemies to to sweat out first. Take a number. (laughs) (laughs) So why... Do this. Why are you bouncing a beach ball around? Well, when it's done right, it's bounced. It's not meant to be thrown on the field. It's meant to be volleyed back and forth and to see how long you can keep it airborne. And it's kind of like a small localized version of the wave, which is probably why I don't like the beach ball thing either. (laughs) (laughs) 
At least the beach ball is interactive, though. I find the wave to just be, I don't know. I think it's more exciting for the people who get it going and they want to then just keep it going. Like that you definitely, you can tell who the ring leaders are when it comes to the wave. I've been at games where you're like, okay, the, this person, this is, they are committed to keeping this going for, they've taken ownership of it for whatever reason. But at least at the beach ball, I feel like, you know, there's some there's something tactile that you're doing there. Well, it's a challenge. It's a it, it's user engagement. It it you know, and it's innocent fun in theory, but it, it only takes one dum dum to screw it all up. Now that might be somebody without good hand eye coordination, or it might be a bad actor. And Dodger Stadium holds and not 50- Justin Bateman. <laughs> That's right. You mean Jason Bateman? Oh, is it Justin or Jason? I mean Jason Bateman. My my bad. My Wait, bad. J- did, did you my say Bateman's? Did you Jason, just say Jason Baseman? Justine, Justine Bateman. Maybe it was Justine Bateman I saw coming out. <laughs> it sounds it like maybe you, you weren't super up close to whoever, whichever Bateman it was. I think I was just, actually, it was fairly close. It was just, I think I was just, couldn't believe that he hadn't zipped up before. Like zipping up was kind of the action that you did as you were leaving the bathroom okay. as opposed to before you leave the bathroom. But, you know, the, my celebrity sightings aside, you continue. So on the West Coast, you go to a baseball game and you see Jason Bateman. On the on the East Coast, you see Patrick Bateman, right? <laughs> exactly. You didn't think I was going to get an, uh, an American Psycho reference into this uh, this episode, but here we are. I have, faith, I have much faith in you. So yeah, so Dodger Stadium holds 56,000 people. What are the odds that there might be one jerk in that crowd? I don't know. You care to stick up for Dodgers fans there, Yankee fan? (laughs) I will stick up for no fans as far as when it comes to, will there at least be one jerk in a crowd at a baseball game? I mean, I think we know the odds are very, very high. Yes. I found a blog and I I usually not going to like re-air one person's opinion, but it, it takes a kind of funny twist. So the blog was called Think Blue LA, written by a guy named Evan Blod. And he was talking about another blog or another online post that he had found kind of a Dodger stadium for dummies. Okay. Which was an informational piece about the stadium. And, and he was kind of giving glowing reviews to what this woman, Nicole had written about do's and don'ts about the stadium experience. But then Nicole wrote, do not bring a beach ball. If security finds it, they will not let you bring it in. If you do get it in the park, you better be darn careful about how you blow it up. My husband blew a beach ball very quietly hidden between a few people. But within just a minute of releasing it into the crowd, security came out of nowhere to escort him immediately out of the park. It is really not worth missing the game for a beach ball. You know, it's all fun and games until someone gets hit in the head with a beach ball because God knows that hurts. Evan, the the guy that wrote the response post, was thinking Uh blue but seeing red after reading this because then he went off. He said, I'll never understand what it is that compels grown men to dive over seats and topple over other fans for the opportunity to knock a beach ball around. It's almost as if it's a crowning achievement of some of these so-called fans to interrupt the game by hitting a plastic ball in the field. That's fine. That's one person's grievance. Okay. And, and of course, on bad hops, we're all about two people's grievances. And, exactly. And, and so I, we're I think all that, about our grievances, Aaron. I think, I think that makes it a democracy, right? Something like that. The fascinating thing, he goes on to suggest that maybe the Dodgers did an an own goal here because mm. this blogger is blaming 
Danny Goodman, who was the visionary marketing guy for the Dodgers when they moved to Los Angeles. Now, Danny Goodman, I read more about him from 1958 until he died in 1983, introduced a lot of now common items for all teams. He brought the first bobblehead dolls over from Japan and sold them in 1958 at Dodger Stadium, or sorry, at the Coliseum, because Dodger Stadium had not yet been built. Plastic bats, a dozen different kinds of hats. And in 1958 alone, Danny Goodman had generated $200,000 in profit off of merchandise. And, and I think that was kind of revolutionary at the time, too. I'm, I'm, I honestly don't know what sort of merch most teams had. I think programs. Yeah, definitely programs. I don't know what else they sold. But... If you look at the old-time footage of the 30s and 40s, you didn't see anybody wearing a baseball hat. They're all wearing their, their straw boaters, looking they all They've got their fancy. fedoras, and yeah, they're all decked out. This poster, Evan, from Think Blue LA, begins to insinuate that Danny Goodman, the Dodgers marketing guy, mm -hmm. was actually creating and branding Dodgers beach balls to sell at the game because he said, I remember seeing vendors selling beach balls at the game. So, of course, if you've got a guy going up and down the aisles selling beach balls, guess what happens next? We all know. I mean, and it seems like a the perfect you know, the perfect item to put Southern California-based team's logo on would be a beach ball. It makes sense, especially in the post-Beach Boys era and, and sun and fun and surf and turf and whatever cars, 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 and girls, 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 to quickly summarize the Beach Boys for you. As time rolled on, though, the beach ball left Chavez Ravine and started moving into other ballparks. I found an article from 1999 about how a beach ball fell from the right field bleachers at an Angels game just as Angels outfielder Tim Salmon was trying to catch a, a long line drive. Tim Salmon, even though he missed the play, he was not particularly bothered because he apparently gave away free tickets to people in that outfield area that were in his fan club. And so, again, another own goal here, but... Mm -hmm. Tim Salmon fans were most likely the ones that dropped the, the beach ball on him and he missed the play. Salmon said beach balls have always been part of the action here. It'll probably never happen again, but it happened to us. Whatever, Anaheim. Always playing second fiddle. If it seems like a tiny ongoing situation in the two Los Angeles ballparks, I was shocked to learn that where beach balls are most notable and most visible now is at the College World Series. Okay, that makes sense. So it has become a long-standing tradition for fans to bring beach balls and other inflatables. But, you know, the College World Series, no big whoop, right? Your team is only playing in their biggest game ever. So, you know, hey, did you bring a beach ball? What has now happened is at least one of the games in the series, and of course the College World Series is not just the two best teams playing. It's a whole playoff bracket system. So I don't know when the beach ball bonanza exactly occurs. And I think because it's it's stealthily organized, it could really happen at any point. But people bring hundreds of beach balls and other inflatables and floaties and things like that and start bouncing them around. And then, of course, more and more get on the field. At a recent game, grounds crew members who are responsible for catching and popping these beach balls Got to pop them, right? You can't. You can't catch and release. You got to. You got to put them down. Apparently, that's right. 
garnering a lot of love and attention from the fans. So some enterprising dunderheads have responded by also bringing water balloons to throw at the grounds crew members who are now popping the inflatable items. Oh, it's all good fun. It's just a little water. As long as it's not battery acid, you're good. (laughs) Yankees fans defending everything tonight. That's right. Well, so at some point, it's now even rumored that at Beach Ball Bonanza that a game actually takes place. But it seems very hard mm-hmm. to tell with so much crap flying around in the air. Keep it classy, college kids. I was amused to learn that the video game MLB The Show mm-hmm. actually suspends the play, even though it's you versus the computer. Uh-huh. At some point at a random moment, the game will pause because a beach ball falls onto the field. And a automated grounds crew member has to go collect it. And now, go do they put have? Away. Do they have what would be better than the beach ball? Would be if they had a cat run onto the field. They need to get on that. That would be way more amusing. See if you can, and then as part, you could earn points by trying to see if you can actually wrangle the cat. Because I have seen cats run out on the field, and ten grown ass men who cannot catch this cat. Yes, that is an object on the field that probably merits its own special focus at some point because yeah when wild animals enter the field it's the funniest thing you've ever seen but also the most terrifying thing you've ever seen because those animals know that they're screwed and i'm just waiting for one of them to sort of turn on on the collective throng for the last word here i want to turn to my favorite dodger of all time finn scully i really don't care about the Dodgers as a team or individual players, but man, I do love Vin Scully. And I, mean, I who doesn't? I think right. You have to you have to be a horrible human being if you don't like Vin Scully. Absolutely, and happy ninety fourth birthday to Vin Scully this week. I, I wish he was still calling games, but I get it. You're ninety four. Maybe you, maybe it's time to just watch games. So that's cool. He's allowed. This is a transcript from a game in June of two thousand nine. I wish I could do the Vin Scully voice, but I, I love him too much to actually try to attempt this. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Here's a transcript from the call. Time called. The dreaded beach ball has shown up on the track in right field. So Jeff Mathis will use the time and go out and talk to Jared Weaver. Jared I've always, Weaver. Sorry. Jared, that's, a, that's a name from the past. Didn't mean to interrupt. Jared Weaver. Yes. And, and don't forget Jeff Weaver is his less successful brother. I cannot forget him if I, if I tried. Go ahead. He starts to call the, the, the resumption of play. And I, this is something I'd never really seen Vince Scully do before. He said, all right, Jared bends at the knees and wait, that's a joke. There's two, three beach balls. <laughs> There's even a further delay. And Vince Scully then says, I've always been amazed. I remember we were just so thrilled to go to a ball game, but how people can make plans. Let's go to the ball game. Yeah. Do you have your beach ball? Well, <laughs> they do. All right, now we're ready. Two balls and no strikes to count. That is classic Scully right there. Even he can make a beach ball sound like it's a smooth, classy day at the ballpark. I wonder if he's, I'm pretty sure he's not doing cameos, but I would probably consider getting him to read the phone book because he would crush it. He absolutely would crush it. He should, but I I think, you know, Finn is probably doesn't need that cameo money. I was 
talking about some objects on the field, but Jackie, mm-hmm. I think you've got some objectification on the field. <laughs> nice, very nice uh, segue. Um, and I, I, I do have to say, there is something about the 70s when some of the most interesting things were happening. I think, especially in baseball, but just in general, it was, a, I don't know, was it a simpler time? I, not, not quite sure how to put it, but my story that I'm going to get into is about a woman that I, a lot of people have heard of, even though she's hasn't been really in the spotlight since probably late 80s, early 90s. She is the kissing bandit Morgana. And isn't there something lovely about the, the term kissing bandit? It, it seems so wholesome. So I don't yeah. know. 60s spy movie, The Kissing. Well, it makes makes me think of Sally Field kissing Burt Reynolds in a certain certain movie that you might you might be able to guess which one I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, was there a trans? Oh, was a Firebird or a Trans Am in that movie? I can't remember. But it was oh, one of those. Gosh. It's one of the other. Yeah, I think it was a Firebird. I think it was right because I'm, I'm I'm picturing the bird. Yes. Anyway, back to Morgana. So my sources for this story are USA Today, Fan Buzz, an old spokesman review article, and a website known as The Greatest 21 Days. So I did a deep dive into Morgana. Now picture this, August 1969, a very buxom, very pretty 22-year-old blonde woman leaps over the fence at Cincinnati's Crossley Field. She runs out and she kisses on the cheek Cincinnati Red baseball player and all to baseball's all-time hit king, Pete Rose. I know, right? This was her first victim, Pete Rose, of all yeah. of all the guys she could have, all the players she could have ran out and kissed. So she runs out, she kisses him on the cheek. And the thing about the kissing bandit, before I go dive in too deeply, she always kissed the gentleman on the cheek. She was not going for the lips. She was, she was a lady, despite her less than ladylike upbringing. So apparently Pete Rose was not happy with this turn of events at all. He cursed at her. What? But yeah, he cursed at her. Morgana told USA Today back in 2019, I remember at the time he was doing commercials for Ballpark Franks. I ran up to him and said, Pete, I buy your hot dogs. And he turned to me and I remember exactly what he said. You crazy blank and broad. But he used a big word. Are you out of your blanking mind? I love that as an opening gambit, and I wonder how that works for people that are on the dating scene right now. Pete, I buy your hot dogs. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it is a great opening line. Pete, I buy your hot dogs. <laughs> people should you swipe right, swipe left. Do you swipe right or left if you're? I don't know how these things work. I'm, I, you know, and, until they bring that technology to the hot dog stand, I I do not know. Anyway, even though. Charlie Hustle got pissed off. He apologized after the after the fact. And he tracked her down and she was performing. And we'll we'll get into that later. And he brought her roses. So Pete Rose brought her roses to apologize for cursing her out. Anyway, Morgana got her nickname the Kissing Bandit because a Cincinnati sports writer wrote the headline following that game: Bandit Steals Kiss from Pete Rose. Still wish she had picked someone else for the, the her first uh, victim over there. I don't want to do this to our listeners, but we can post a photo of Pete Rose from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the aughts or beyond. Boy, you had a lot of a lot of better choices. Just saying. This began her kissing bandit career. And she kissed a, a lot of other notable baseball players, including Nolan Ryan, 
Cal Ripken Jr., Johnny Bench, Steve Garvey, Don Mattingly, and George Brett. There's even a picture of her attempting to kiss Frank Howard on display at the Baseball Hall of Fame. So you can, so she's made it. She's in the Baseball Hall of Fame kissing Frank or attempting to kiss Frank Howard. <laughs> I guess her, her foray into trying to kiss George Brett, who was at the time the third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, that was kind of one of her more funnier attempts. She kissed him on the cheek during a game against the Baltimore Orioles while he was waiting on deck. George Brett reacted in his George Brett way. I think he was not as upset as Pete Rose because she was pretty famous. And I think this became a thing. But anyway, three weeks later, Brett went to the club where she danced. And when she was on stage, he gave her a kiss back. Oh. Yeah. And bought her some of Pete Rose's hot dogs. <laughs> she bought her a hot dog afterwards. So in 1970, during the All-Star Game, Morgana said that she was gonna she was gonna go there and she was gonna try to run out in the field and kiss a player. So ahead of the game, a reporter asked then Commissioner Bowie Kuhn. Was it Kuhn or Cone? Kuhn. Kuhn. Okay. I think it might be Bowie Kuhn. Is it but... Bowie Kuhn? Okay, so I've totally butchered his name. That's okay. Nobody remembers baseball commissioners. According to the Baltimore Sun, he was asked, "Is she bad for baseball?" And he responded, well, I think you can overdo something like this. I guess I'll have to decide something by next Tuesday. So he didn't know if he was going to, like, what was he going to do? How was he going to punish her? Whatever he decided, Morgana, when she ran out on the field, she didn't succeed in kissing anyone. And that was the only time that she missed her mark. In fact, she also kissed not just baseball players, but she kissed NBA players like Charles Barkley and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. She kissed hockey players, not sure how that worked on the ice. Uh, she once kissed a NASCAR driver, another time a jockey, and she even kissed the San Diego chicken. Uh-huh. These sound like increasingly higher risk things that she runs out on the ice and then runs out on the uh, on the speedway and just pull over, pull over. I've got, <laughs> Please I've got stop. something Let me for kiss you. you. Let me kiss you while you're changing those tires. You know, you would assume running out on the field, she'd probably, you know, gotten arrested a couple of times. I think she got arrested 16 times in all. After kissing Houston Astros pitcher Nolan Ryan, Morgana's defense lawyer argued in court that she had mistakenly fallen onto the field because of gravity. <laughs> so if you see pictures of Morgana, she had a very large chest. So Her center of gravity was memorable. So, I mean, it is plausible, although that's not what happened. It is plausible that she could have fallen over the fence. But of course, you know, she could have fallen over the fence, then gotten back up and gone onto the field as opposed to trying to run out and kiss Nolan Ryan, which again, not someone I would have wanted to kiss cheek or otherwise. Uh, but kissing players is not without its hazards. Apparently, Morgana suffered a cracked kneecap, a broken tailbone, and three cracked ribs from being chased down by security. In fact, she was even hit by a pitch in Milwaukee. She said, it was fun, but there's a time and a place for everything. You know, sometimes the rent-a-cops get a little carried away. That's just part of it. That and the jail is just part of it. <laughs> I remember 
when she kissed George Brett, because it was you the do. it was the talk of the town. It was all over Channel Nine News. Let me tell you. And they showed clips of it. They had an interview with her. They had an interview with George Brett. And I had a lot of questions from my parents. I bet you did about well, how how can they do that? And can anyone just jump over the fence and and kiss somebody? And could somebody jump over the fence and kiss me? And none of those questions were entertained for very long. But. I sure had a lot of them as a result of that. I mean, how could you not? I do remember her. I don't remember being as fascinated by her as you might have been. To me as a kid, I thought, oh, she's part of the whole show, right? Is this stage? And I think to a degree that it, some of it became staged later on. But she had an interesting life, Morgana. She did, she did not have an easy life. She was born in Louisville, Kentucky and grew up quite poor. When she was six, she was sent to live with her grandmother after her mother disowned her. At 13 years old, she ran away from her Catholic boarding school to hitchhike with a friend to Baltimore. Now, she needed to find a job, but she was too young to work. You had to be 16. So she begged shop owners for jobs, but was turned down. She slept in doorways, ate out of garbage cans. And then she saw an ad in a window for a cigarette or camera girl at a nightclub. But when the owner took in some a couple of assets that she had, he decided she would make a better go-go dancer. So at the tender age of 13, she started dancing, which My is goodness. kind of sad. If you, like, yeah. Apparently, she was a pretty successful dancer. She would wear 10-gallon cowboy hats on her incredibly large assets. Apparently, they measured 44 inches, and she was allegedly a size eye cup, which I didn't know existed. She did later on, after she retired from her kissing bandit days, she did have breast reduction surgery. And honestly, who could blame her? I don't know how the woman was able to stand up and, and not topple over. She was featured on her very own bubblegum card set. At one point, she was a part owner of a minor league baseball team. And other minor league teams would invite her to games to kiss their players because by this point she was famous and right. they would use it to, you know how, we all know how those minor league teams uh, work. This makes me wonder. The first time she did it, I believe it was just for her own kicks and, and jollies and a little attention and, and things like that. But at some point, she was the San Diego chicken, just sort of a, a sexier playboy version of the San Diego chicken. <laughs> and yeah, it does not surprise me that she would have been invited to these places, you know, to just sell a few more tickets at some chumpy little single A minor league game. It's her own Funko Pop, don't you think? I think maybe the proportions of a Funko Pop are a little out of whack for, uh, for Morgana, but I'm, I'm sure they could make something happen. Well, apparently there is an ESPN documentary on her entitled Morgana the Kissing Bandit, which aired in 2014, which I do need to track down. She is still alive. She lives okay. near Columbus, Ohio with her longtime husband, Bill, who she uh, allegedly met at a baseball game, and she has a little chihuahua named Bella, and she is living living her best life now as a retired kissing bandit. So that is Morgana, the kissing bandit. Simpler times in the 70s when women could run onto the field and kiss Pete Rose on the cheek. I think she might have been living her best life for quite a while. I, I get that there was some hard knock parts of it all, but she seemed pretty footloose and fancy free most of the time. I also just want to point out that we swore at one point that we would never do stats mm -hmm. on this podcast. And, and here you are giving stats on Morgana and her, her bra size. But I, I guess 
technically I mean, not a not a baseball stat. I mean, I didn't know you could go up to a size I. I didn't even know that was possible. From what I remember of Morgana, I think you could just sort of make up a lot of middle of the alphabet letters and and just say, yeah, that's pretty much where she landed. You know, hey, it made her money, got her off the mean streets of Baltimore and found her her notoriety as the kissing bandit. I understand you have a few more feminine antics to dig into here. I do. So women behaving badly at baseball games isn't quite as common as men behaving badly at baseball games. But then in general, you know, men usually behave more badly than women in life, life at large. But there have been a couple of stories, and some of them are actually quite recent, of women running onto the field. And the reason this kind of got me going is I remember when this happened back in 2002, a woman ran onto the field during a New York Yankees game. They were playing Tampa Bay, and she ran onto the field. She ran up to Derek Jeter, who looked perplexed, and she put a note in his glove and then went to go run off the field. She actually almost made it until she got grabbed by a security guard. She lost her footing, got grabbed by a security guard, and then she got tossed. But I couldn't find any... I did a lot of research, did a lot of looking around. couldn't find any articles about it to find out like why she did it, because I believe Derek Jeter, he never revealed what was in the note, but I wasn't entirely sure. I think what was written on the note was whatever it was that Bill Murray said to Scarlett Johansson at the end of the Lost in Translation. And that's why Derek Jeter won't reveal what's in the note. Ooh, we could only hope, but I feel like Derek probably isn't as clever as our friend Bill. I believe I was watching that game when it happened. And he looked very perplexed and he, you know, they, the security guards didn't totally uh, tackle her and and hogtie her. Kind of an interesting little Derek Jeter moment. And I'm actually surprised that more women didn't run onto the field to uh, try to give Derek Jeter things. But then, of course, Derek Jeter was known to give women things, the infamous gift basket story. I don't know the gift basket story. You don't know the gift basket story. Derek Jeter was rumored to, after he would be with with the ladies, he would send them off with a gift basket of goodies or autographed baseballs or that kind of thing, which is Supposedly not true, but that was a, if you if you Google it, there are a lot of stories about Derek Jeter gift basket. This part of the podcast was brought to you by Minka Kelly and edible I, arrangements. Apparently, and <laughs> I bring up Minka Kelly just because I like to say the name Minka Kelly. That's Funny. sort of like my my salsa seltzer sort of thing. Mariah Carey, there it is, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I did find a couple of other stories of women behaving badly on the field, always wanting to. That was wanting a little touchy, wanting to, you know, get in the the face of a famous, supposedly good-looking baseball player. In fact, Cody Bellinger, as recently as June 2019, an 18-year-old Dodger fan ran onto the field at Chase Field in Arizona and wanted to give Cody a hug. In fact, because it's modern time, she was filming it from her camera the entire time. She was recording it posted it on Instagram. An an influencer. An influencer. So she ran out onto the field and she screamed, Cody, Cody, ran up to him and said, can I get a hug? And of course, Cody Bellinger is like kind of perplexed, like who is this young girl? Why is she coming up to me? And according to a story that appeared on News 12 Phoenix, 
She said, I remember looking up at him and feeling his jersey on my face and running, she said, just to see his smile from a foot away and be so close to him. I can say that's a lot of people's dreams. And actually, she was not the first woman that year to run up to Cody Bellinger and try to hug him. She was the second. Apparently, a 14-year-old girl was tackled at Dodger Stadium trying to do the exact same thing just a few days earlier. I didn't realize that Cody Bellinger was also a member of BTS, but, <laughs> uh, but apparently he he inspires boy band mania. He does. To, he does. to teenage Dodger fans. Now, the young woman, uh, she was able to, to give him like a kind of a one-armed hug, kind of like a bro hug. So she did get to touch him, but she said she would definitely, anyone else advising to do it, don't do it. She said, I mean, I'm still rooting for him. And if he wants to do a meet and greet where I don't get arrested, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she she ended up spending the night in, or at least 13 hours in jail after it and saying that, you know, probably not the best thing that you should do, but still doesn't regret her actions. She did get to get touch Cody Bellinger. I mean, 13 hours sitting in a holding tank, I'm sure it's totally worth it. And now she's scared straight. And now she's scared straight. <laughs> so while I was looking up that, I found out another incident that occurred in during the 2019 World Series. And you may remember this, Mark, because I, I did, I had a, even though I did not watch the 2019 World Series, except maybe the final game where the Astros lost, I do remember hearing about this. So apparently during game five of the World Series, late in the game, bottom of the seventh inning with Garrett Cole on the mound, he was pitching. He was like well into the game. You can watch the video. He throws what is his 104th pitch. I wasn't for him. Suddenly he just stops. He just kind of stops and calls time out. And you're like, what's going on? Well, there were two young women sitting behind home plate who decided that they would flash their breasts. And okay. you know, they're wearing, they were wearing, they were prepared though. They were wearing cutoff tops. And there wasn't a lot that they had to pull up. It wasn't like they were, had to undo several layers or untuck. They were wearing crop shirts and they, they flashed, they flashed the camera. One of them was an Instagram model, which I didn't know is a thing. Apparently you can be an Instagram model. That's, that's a thing. They claim the stunt was done to bring awareness to breast cancer, which seems like, hey, why'd you do this? Oh, I know for breast cancer awareness. <laughs> for their antics, these ladies got a lifetime ban from the MLB, which I say, you know what? Lighten up MLB. They're, it's, they're just body parts. I mean, seriously, they, they didn't run onto the field. They're just showing off their wares. I think if people, you know, so uptight about the female form, but that's MLB. I, I'm, they'll probably invite it to come, to come to an NBA game anytime, you know, sometime soon. But yeah, MLB banned for flashing your breasts. So let that be a warning to you, kids. No flashing of body parts, especially during the World Series. Someone at Major League Baseball had visions of Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl and thought we, we can't allow the half a million people that are still watching the World Series to, <laughs> to be scandalized like this. I mean, I bet you those those Instagram models probably had more followers on their Instagram page than MLB had viewers for that for that game. I'm sure their like button was smashed. I'm sure it was. There is a history of women behaving badly on the field, but there will never be another kissing bandit. You know, those days, those halcyon days of the 70s, they're gone. We've had a heck of a party so far. We've had 
beach balls and sort of a clam bake sort of vibe out in Dodger Stadium. We've got naked ladies and playoff games and things like that. So I guess it's probably time for me to be the wet blanket and start yeah. talking about repercussions. Uh-oh. So you're going to be you're going to be the rule guy. Yeah, I know it's an audio only podcast, but let the record show right now I'm wagging my finger at everyone. Yes, you are. Throwing stuff on the field has never been condoned. And in fact, Jackie, you once told us in a previous episode about a very special day at the ballpark called Scrap Metal Day. That's right. Again, halcyon, simpler times when you That's can right. bring scrap metal on purpose. When Before there were metal detectors at the ballpark, <laughs> there were days where you were invited to bring scrap metal into the ballpark. It was a war drive, right? That was like, I think it was 1943. Is that? Yeah, I would like say that? you were, you were doing it for the war effort, you know, get the, uh, I, I forget, I could, anything I'll think of that they use is going to be politically incorrect, but yes, yeah. the war effort. In the you, war. Were just, you were going to stick it to the Nazis. We can still, st- we can still, still stick, stick it to the Nazis, stick it to the Nazis. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Nowadays, if you throw something on the field, whether it's a beach ball or I guess your own self uh, or any, anything else, really, will get you kicked out of the ball game. And, and in fact, most, well, every team has a, a clear policy on their website that you could be fined, you could be arrested, your stuff will be confiscated if it's even seen in the stands. So if, if someone sees you blowing up a beach ball, you could get the heave-ho before you even get it halfway blown up. I was interested to know, and you mentioned a lifetime ban, but I've only found one lifetime ban for somebody throwing something on a field. And that was this year, 2021, a Yankees fan chucked a ball at Alex Verdugo, who was a a Red Sox outfielder. Throwing a baseball is a whole different situation than throwing a beach ball because that's criminal intent. I don't care if you got a grievance with your lifelong rivals or what you're doing something that you definitely should not be doing. So this fan got a lifetime ban from all ballparks. And as far as I can tell, that's the only person that has thrown something that has gotten a lifetime ban. The flashing of the breast lifetime ban. I feel like that's, that's way out of proportion. Who are you hurting? Right? Well, that's the R rated movie thing, right? It's like, you Mm -hmm. can have 20 people disemboweled, but then if there's a a naked person kissing another naked person, it's like, I'm sorry, that's NC 17 y'all. But I was surprised that that nuclear option has only been employed at one person who admittedly should be probably banned from all sporting events. If he's literally going to endanger players and, uh, you know, because what's to say he wouldn't turn around and chuck a ball at at somebody sitting next to him too. Somebody kind of on a hair trigger like that. But then I was reminded of another ban that at a 1995 Dodgers game, the Dodgers gave out baseballs to paying customers and the game didn't go very well. So the the Dodger fans (laughs) threw their souvenir baseball onto the field. The Dodgers had to forfeit the game as a result of so many baseballs being thrown on the field. What what year was this, Mark? 1995. Wow, okay. And as a result of this, Major League Baseball ruled that any future promotional giveaways of baseballs or throwable objects, items would be given out as fans exited the stadium. Interesting. I don't know how comprehensive that ban was because I remember a late 90s game in Chicago where kids' bats were handed out for Sammy Sosa Bat Day. 
And I also remember a lot of sports pros going around giving kids $100 for the Sammy Sosa bats, and none of them ended up on the field. I think they all ended up on this uh, this new website called the eBay or something. The eBay. Yeah, no, they started long ago only giving the kids the, the bats, and usually not in... I mean, there was a time when they gave full-size bats. I do right. recall that back in the day, and then now they kind of gave the more of the, the tiny bats. And that incident, not only did it create a permanent ban on throwable giveaways until after the game, but it also inspired one of my favorite Simpsons episodes where Marge had started a pretzel franchise and was giving out free pretzels at a game where Mr. Burns was the winner of the stadium raffle and given a brand new car, people lost their minds in Springfield and started throwing the pretzels onto the field where, for whatever reason, Yankees great Whitey Ford went on the field to try to get fans to stop throwing pretzels, and he was knocked unconscious by a barrage of pretzels. <laughs> and Homer, in consoling Marge, said, well, you don't you don't even have to call them pretzels. You can call them Whitey Whackers. Ooh. <laughs> so I just wanted to get that in because, I don't know, anytime I can say Whitey Whackers, I'm, I'm a happy camper. One other thing that happens on the field and it's sort of Morgana adjacent although I think she okay. always kept her clothes on she did she was she was a she was a lady despite her profession not everybody keeps their clothes on at ball games and well, we did determine that yeah but on the field mm-hmm. and, and of course I, I take you back to those gentler simpler times of the 70s again when we had the streakers Yep. And people are still doing it. And then some people are just drunk and just sort of staggering on the field now. But I assumed that there was a blanket policy for MLB and possibly for all professional sports that mm-hmm. you were not allowed to televise that. I was surprised to see that it is an informal policy. I found some quotes from the head of NBC Sports and the head of CBS Sports that basically said, no, we're not going to show that stuff, but there is there is nothing that is restricting us from doing it. They simply understood the more you show someone running on the field naked or drunk or whatever, more people are going to do it. They're going to say, oh, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to go out, take off all my clothes, and I'm going to body paint. The trifecta. So now what we hear are announcers. Well, we, we see weird cutaways because mm-hmm. you can show anything on the field that's not where the action is. So you see players looking at something. You hear announcers talking about some idiot on the field or the more professional announcers will say, well, a distraction on the field. I was also very, very happy to learn that in MLB The Show, there's a, a subset in the game called Road to the Show where you were essentially bringing players up through the minor league mode. Mm-hmm. But there will be a random moment in the game where play stops and you see everything but the person on the field while the announcer stumbles through commentary saying that there's an idiot on the field. Well, play will resume momentarily. And I, I love that that's, that's a very cheap thing to code because you don't actually have to like add another character into the game. You just have weird cutaways and you have an announcer sort of vamping until security can escort the person off the field. These games are more realistic than ever. So I think it's not unreasonable for us to lobby the mm-hmm. makers of MLB The Show to get those cats. I want there. the cats, cats, squirrels, birds, you name it. Now that we're down to our last hour, I do want to 
break tradition and give a quick shout out to the world of hockey because because you're such a super fan. I know. I am. I, this is my power play. So let me have my moment for my hat trick, right? That's, this is my hat trick? I don't know. Um, uh, no, but go ahead. <laughs> do, you, do you want to fight me? Did you me? score three goals? <laughs> we can fight. I'm going to take off my gloves. Okay. This is, this is, this is where we kind of blo- come to blows because that's what we do in hockey. That's right. I think the strangest thing that I've ever seen throw onto a field of play is an octopus because that's what Detroit Red Wings fans do. They will throw octopi onto the ice. The reason that octopi are thrown onto the field Mm -hmm. is because the eight arms of the octopus are symbolic for the number of victories needed to secure a Stanley Cup from the original six era of the National Hockey League. You no longer need eight victories to get to the Stanley Cup, you probably need like, what, 300 through the very lengthy arcane playoff system, just like every other professional sport has. When you think of a beach ball, how would you get a beach ball into, into the stands? Into the stands? Or, or, how or in, into the game, into the game. From, well, I mean, from... it's very easy for me. I mean, I'd just put it in my purse or I'd put it in my, put it in a pocket of my jeans or something. Yeah, I think I, I would wear maybe a raincoat that's kind of got some big outer pockets and I could probably get two beach balls in there. I don't know if I, if you were Morgana, you could definitely get two beach balls in there. If I said I was Morgana, I could definitely get two full beach balls in there. Yep. <laughs> and I'm so, oh, I'm just here to kiss someone. I'm not here to throw something on the field. And they, of course, the ushers would then be very understanding and say, that's, that's totally fine. An uninflated beach ball is easy. How do you get an octopus into a game? Not sure. Do you bring a nice bucket with you? I don't know. Bucket of ice, a little, little cooler, you know, a little I, Yeti cooler. I assume you have to think like a drug mule. And I think you've probably got to tape it to your body somehow, maybe like flared trousers and strap it to your calf or something. Also, that octopus is dead. Yeah. And you're going to be funky. I get that you love the Red Wings. I get that you love your hockey team, Detroit. But man, you're walking around and you smelling like weak old seafood. But props to hockey fans. Well, and with that, how about an outro? All right. The fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field. And we will see you next time at the ballpark. You're listening to our pal Ron Lewis on the Stadium Organ. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. See you next time. See ya. And remember, don't throw that beer bottle when you can just throw a fit instead. Or an octopod. I want to see that now. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye.